to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Well, welcome again. Uh, my name is Matt. I am the uh, teaching pastor here at Canyon Ridge Church. And I'm just so grateful that we have the chance to do this today, uh, to have each of us uh, be a part of the service in the way that we can from our homes, and to glorify God, to join in worship together, and to hear from His Word. Um, I'm excited to get to the Word today. Uh, let me just tell you before we even get in there, uh, this is a word for us and for our time and for this day. Um, I had some plans about what God wanted to say to me, and uh, I got some of that in, but God seemed to drive me in a way that was even more directed towards uh, just where we're at today. And so I think it's really a message for our day, for our time, for our moment. Uh, and, and you're going to want to you're going to want to take some notes. All right. Uh, let's go to God in prayer one more time and then we'll get to his word. Father God, thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that you have already spoken to us in ways that are just ready to give us life. Help us not to miss those things today, Lord. Help us not to be distracted by the medium or our situation or the things around us in our homes. Um, but God, help us be drawn in by your Spirit. Your Spirit who, yes, Lord, is still present with us, even in our homes. And Lord, help us to receive the life that you want to pour into us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well... This is a bit unexpected, isn't it? I mean, I already knew a month ago that I was on the calendar to give a talk at Canyon Ridge Church. But if you had told me a month ago that today church would be not just taking place entirely online, but that I would be preaching from my home, I would not know what to think. But hey, welcome to my place. Your family here today. I think we're going to be doing church like this for a little while to come. The times are about as strange as they've ever been for many of us, and, and maybe that's a very kind way to describe it. Uh, you might call these times terrible, or frustrating, or uncertain, or difficult, or stressful. Uh, and I'm not going to say um, that you're wrong in any of those, but there's actually something really cool that makes these strange, these different times uh, there's something cool about them, and that is that they will make us, in some ways, relearn the things that we always thought we knew in our relationship with God. I mean, there's so much that God's Word teaches us. There's so many promises, so many instructions, so many encouragements, so many cautions that we have heard or maybe even taught to others. So many things that we have learned before, but when we find ourselves in a life turned upside down... When life takes that very unexpected turn, we just find ourselves at a loss all of a sudden. How do all these wonderful things apply now? God, where is this promise of yours never to leave us or forsake us? God, how can I serve and honor you and learn from you when I can't go to church on Sunday morning? God, how do you expect me to trust you in these circumstances? Have you ever said these words? God, this is not what I signed up for. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, that's, that's what can be so cool about such times. Yes, this pandemic we're all facing right now is horrible. It is awful. We should all be praying 
for relief from it, for protection, for healing. But in the midst of such jarring circumstances, we all of a sudden have the chance to be honest about our faith, about our relationship with God, and say those kinds of things that maybe we would never say in other times. Like, God, I don't have all of the answers. God, things don't look anything like normal, and I don't know how to follow you here. God, I am scared. God, I am worried. God, I need more of you if I am going to make it through this well. And God is ready to teach us new things about who he is and how he works. He is pleased to step into our trying times and help to transform people who didn't really think they needed to learn much from him before the moments got the way they are. And let me just say this. God seems to love taking people through places where they would say, if I ever knew what this was going to be, I never would have signed up for it. He loves taking us through those spaces because let's face it, what do we sign up for? We sign up for easy street. We sign up for predictability, for, for shiny objects with obvious benefit to us, temporary comforts. God wants far better for us, even if we won't sign up for it ourselves. He will take us there. He wants to learn, he wants us to learn a deeper walk with him. I know, I know that's what he wants in these times for me. I know that that's what God is teaching me, that he's, he's trying me, what he's challenging me, what he's growing me to do in these times. And I hope you will join with me on that journey. So as Jerry Lee mentioned earlier, we are a church in transition now. We're in between lead pastors, but months ago, as we were planning this teaching series, only God knew that at this moment in time, we would also be a world in transition. Our series is titled, At the Crossroads, with the subtitle of, How to Choose When Life Takes a Turn. And I couldn't think of a better topic of study from God's Word than this one at such a time as we are witnessing. If you missed either of the first two messages, I highly encourage you to catch up on them on our website and listen to the whole series. In the first message, we really laid the groundwork for how to even think about God, like who he is and what he's up to when all of a sudden life is not what we signed up for. And then after that, last week, Doug White spoke in our first ever online service. You can still catch that on our Facebook page. And he spoke on shaping our expectations toward the living hope that will meet us at our crossroads. And that brings us to today, where after we've laid this groundwork, after we've set these expectations, we're just going to get really practical. I mean, let's assume that you've listened to those first two messages and you've got them down. Maybe you, you've got this good reminder of how God works and, and the hope that he offers, but here's the deal. Even if you've got all of that under your belt, you still have to choose what you're going to do and who you're going to be in your life. And you have to live your life today and tomorrow and before you have all the answers and before you see that hope that God gives you completely fulfilled. Maybe you understand God a lot better after you've listened to two wonderful sermons uh, that speak into your situations, but you're, you're still there. You're still at the crossroads. The road that you've been traveling on has come to this end and there are only new options ahead of you. And how do you choose? Who are you going to be now? 
Today we're going to talk about that. And the pastor's heart in me says, I hope you will do more than watch this message the same way that you would watch a program on TV or Netflix. I hope you will take notes for this one. I hope you will review them later and use them as prayer topics. Because you just might be in one of those places where you've really got to learn something that you've heard before. But now it's time to learn it all over again. Last time I spoke, we spent much of our time focused on a story. Uh, today, I want to take you to just one verse. And from there, we'll, we'll spend the majority of our time focusing on equipping us to understand and live out some of the things it talks about. Our verse today is probably not one you're going to run across very often. Maybe you've never even really heard it before. It's in Jeremiah chapter 6, a chapter that you will probably never really hear read in any large part in church. Why? Uh, it's some terrible stuff. That's why the whole chapter, which is not short, is God's message to his people, Judah, about the wrath that they are about to face for disowning him. Now, I could have just told you it is a chapter full of God's promises, which is true. Uh, and it might sound more appealing, except that you would absolutely not like the promises that it includes. So it's not exactly the kind of chapter that you would ever hear read at a wedding or a prayer meeting or any time of encouragement. But there is one verse in there that we're going to read today where God tells Judah, his people, this is what you should have done. If only you would have done this, everything would be different. There would be no wrath. There would be no judgment. There would be no tragedy. There would be peace with God. There would be blessing. There would be purpose. Well, if only they would have done what? Don't you want to know? Well, let's read it. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. Did you see that? If only they would have done what? Handled their crossroads well, they would have had rest for their souls. If only they would have chosen the right path when life split into multiple options, everything would have been different for them. No need for an uncomfortable Jeremiah chapter 6. You see, it's times like these where we're, we're going to choose something or someone else will choose that for us. But these choices really matter who we're going to be, who we're going to trust, how we're going to relate to God, how we're going to grow, how we are going to care for or involve or treat or serve others. See, when life takes a turn, all of these fundamental, important questions, they might require some fresh answers. And what we choose and how we choose really matters. So today, let's talk about it. We're going to talk about four practical steps to handling your crossroads well. God himself says it. Judah, my people, if you would have only chosen well here at the crossroads, there would be rest for your souls. 
You and I can absolutely do this with God's help. So, four practical steps to handling your crossroads well, and let me just encourage you one more time to write these down. Because if you just watch, if you just listen, I guarantee you a lot of what I tell you this morning will not blow your mind. I'm not going to tell you some stuff that no one's ever said before. The Bible, you know, just plain doesn't have any new passages written in it in the past few weeks. But as I alluded to earlier, this might be a time when you and I need to relearn some of the things we thought we knew. And I don't just want you to hear some words and agree with them. I want you to put these practical steps, these biblical principles, into practice. And you'll just have an easier time doing that if you can remember them, right? As they say, a short pencil is better than a long memory. Okay, so enough on that. Let's go. We've got a lot to cover. And the first practical step is this. Start by gathering the truth. Start by gathering the truth. Let me ask you a simple question. How critical is the truth when you need to make an important decision? I bet you could make the case that it is just probably about the most important factor there is. I think you could say that no good decision-making is done without true information being available to the decision-maker. I mean, this one is almost self-evidence uh, that, that if your facts are off, your decision will be as well. It will be. If you have wrong information or if you are just missing some of the right information that you needed, you're going to make bad decisions, maybe even really dangerous decisions. And I could give a, a ton of examples, but so could you. I mean, if you didn't know the brakes in your car didn't work, it's just that easy to go, ah, truth, it's very important. Uh, think about it. Uh, when, a, when a decision really matters, truth is one of the most, if not the very most precious commodities. When, when we put a person on trial, for example, for their lives, right? Their lives could be at stake. Their whole freedom in their life could be at stake. We only ask people to promise one thing. We want to base the entire trial on one thing, and every person that's going to have any word into that trial has to swear to one thing. What is that? They swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, not leaving anything out, nothing but the truth, not adding anything in. So help them, God, like the kind of truth that God would say, yeah, that's true. That's what we ask for. We know the importance of truth. But at a crossroads experience, when whatever we decide to do next, whoever we decide to be next is going to have this real impact on our lives. This is an important decision point for us. Well, something else can take over. It's this thing called feelings. Why is the world out of toilet paper right now? Why? Do, do people run away from a relationship that they, they really want to be healed? Why do we quit things that we believed God himself had called us to? So often, the answer has nothing to do with truth. It has to do with feelings. We come to a point of crisis, and something inside of us says, Oh, you've got to escape. You've got to get yours now, or you won't be okay later. You're not safe anymore. Or, hey, 
count your losses now before they come even greater and get out. We might think, we might feel these things or a hundred others, and when combined with the sense of, well, my life is in crisis right now, well, I've got to make my decision right now, we move straight into action. We make choices at the crossroads that never even had the chance to be good ones. Our feelings drove us, and we reacted fast and dramatically without ever checking in with the most important factor in decision-making, the truth. But God's Word points us differently. Look again at what, that, what God tells his people in this passage. He starts with this, stand at the crossroads and look. Look. That same passage can be accurately translated as, stop at the crossroads and look around. Look around. The first step he tells Judah, the first step they should have taken is to stop and assess where they are. They faced the most important life-changing opportunity they ever would. They could either listen to the prophets, change the way they're going, start fresh with God, or they could take another path and end up where they never wanted to be. I mean, this was their critical moment. This was their crisis. And the Lord tells them here, stop. See where you are, see where you're going, and see where you could go. Start by gathering the truth. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul gives us a similar encouragement. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Uh, Paul begins to wrap up this teaching that he's giving on difficult times. Times where we're not necessarily knowing what to choose or how to choose it very similar theme here. And he says this, finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. When your crossroads hits, when your crisis hits, where does your mind go? God's word says, Train yourself to stop and assess the situation. Train yourself to put what is true and good and pure first and foremost on your list of things to think about. Yes, a lot of what Paul is getting at has to do with focusing on the positive, right? He, he's saying train yourself to look at all the good things, all the positive things that God is doing, all the, the truth that God is telling you. But notice again that truth is once again the first characteristic that is mentioned. So if all of those positive things, all of those things that you want to think about, all those things that would be good to think about, if, if they are not true, they're automatically ruled out from the very beginning. They must be true to begin with. So here are some truths for us to look at when we make a decision. There are a lot. What decision do we really have to make? When do we have to make it? What's in our control? What is completely out of our control? What is our responsibility? What is not our responsibility? What limits do we have? What strengths do we have? What sources of help or wisdom do we have available? Where is God in this situation? What does God want for me? And now I'm out of fingers. Uh, of course God can do anything, but what has he promised he will do? Who is God in this situation? Who does God want me to be? Now that's a lot of questions to answer. I 
ran out of room. But isn't that the point? Isn't that the point? Because every single one of those questions that I just rattled off is a vitally important thing to consider when you're at a crossroads. And if we let the, the pressure or the uncertainty of a situation to just get into the driver's seat, we are going to be off and running at 100 miles per hour without ever stopping to look at what is true about us, about God, and about our situation first. And you're not going to memorize all those <laughs> all those questions I threw out to you, but maybe you can handle it this way. You probably can. We've got to start out by asking, what is true about us, about God, and about our situation? Because that truth is a vital starting point for any good decision about who we will be or what we will do next. Let me tack on one more notion too, and then we'll move to step two. Here's the last bit about truth. Let me challenge you. Cite your sources. Cite your sources. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, like when you are writing a research paper in school, and it doesn't matter how smart you sound, you have to prove that some other scholarly source agrees with you by saying, look, this truth came from this scholarly source. Some smart other dude wrote this in a peer-reviewed journal here, right? Because look, you can run through the truth questions that I've given you. What is true about me? What is true about God? And what is true about my situation? And you can do that in five minutes with whatever the first thought that comes into your head is. And it might be a bunch of lies that the devil really wants you to believe. What's true about me? Nobody loves me and everybody's leaving me. What's true about God? Well, obviously he doesn't care because he didn't do anything to stop it. What's true about my situation? It's hopeless and it'll never change. Lies, lies, and lies. When the future of your life hangs on a choice you have to make, you've got to make sure the truth you're using to make decision is actually that. It's honest to God truth. So God's word teaches us that, that Jesus Christ is truth and that his word is where we find truth. So, you know, that would be a great place to start. Some of your truth will come from cold, hard facts in the real world, right? I mean, you're going to have things like, I have a decision that I need to make by this Friday, or it'll be made for me. And I have this letter from a bank that says just that. Okay, that's probably pretty good. But the majority of the deeper truths about who we are, what we were made for, who God is, and what he will and will not do, and what really matters in life, if you can't find a passage in the Bible that actually confirms that what you believe is true, is actually true, you're probably not done looking around at the crossroads. You're probably not done assessing what is true. We need to start by stopping and gathering the truth. That is the first practical step to handling your crossroads well. Step two is this, and we're going to spend some time on this one. Um, find the direction and wisdom that God has already provided. Find the direction and wisdom that God has already provided. Notice in God's word to Jeremiah 
the next step after stopping and looking around at the crossroads, he says this, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is. There's something very interesting in those words already, uh, and that's that the word if doesn't appear in there anywhere. It doesn't say ask if there's a good way. No, it just says find it. It's there. I love the phrase, ask for the ancient paths. Uh, the Hebrew word there can also refer to an enduring path or an everlasting path. There's this notion that there, that there is a way through this, and it's older than time itself. Later on in the same chapter, we can see these paths, this good way. Uh, God tells us later on that the thing that, that Judah was ignoring is found in the words and the commands given by God. It's amazingly helpful to start with a true picture of ourselves, of God, and our situation, but things really get better when we realize that God has already laid out an ancient, timeless path for us through whatever we will face. He has given us the guidance we need to go forward. He has already come up with a good way. So in step two, that is the job. Find out what God has already directed us to do and find out how God has already guided us to approach our decisions. It's time to search for both direction and wisdom. A lot of Christians want to live their lives as if God only provides one or the other, right? Either God is 100% directive or he's 100% about wisdom. You know, the, those of us that are uh, leaning towards the 100% directive camp, uh, we think that God has planned out every single moment and every single decision of our lives, right? Uh, what job you should have, what specific person you should marry, what school you should attend, when you should retire, where you should live, maybe even what parking space you should get when you go to the grocery store. Even though it's very, very interesting, the Bible doesn't specifically address any of those topics. Cite your sources. On the other hand, though, if, if you're one of those people uh, that says uh, God is more 100% wisdom, he only really gives us wisdom, you might think more like, hey, uh, we, can, we can really do anything we want because God loves us anyway. Uh, his commands are just there to give us the best possible version of this life. So if we ignore them or if we don't follow them completely, yes, it'll make life harder on us. But we're still going to end up with God after this life anyway. So maybe you fall in one of those two camps. God is all directive or he's all wisdom. But see, the truth lies somewhere in the middle of that. Or maybe... God is somewhere in the middle grasping both ends. Because see, on the one hand, God is quite directive. He didn't give people <laughs> the ten suggestions, right? He gave them the ten commandments, and they were literally written in stone. Uh, he didn't give his people the advice. He gave them the law, right? Jesus Christ even instructed, If you love me, obey my commands. And he confronted those who thought that obedience was just a nice to have. In Luke chapter 6, verse 46, he looks at a crowd of people who had gathered to hear him teach, uh, much like just a, a normal Sunday morning you might find when we're not in the middle of fighting a pandemic. A bunch of people gathering and saying, what does God's word have for us today? And he asks those people, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say? 
Because you see, for him, the two must go together. If Jesus is your Lord, you take your orders, you take your required direction from him. But on the other hand, God also offers us wisdom. The, the places where God simply tells us this is generally how life works. Here's how to make good choices. He tells us things like don't choose bad friends. Don't, don't co-sign a loan for someone unless you want to get stuck with their debt. Sure. Uh, don't chase after things that hold no eternal significance. Those kinds of things. But also do pursue God. Do pursue knowledge. Do pursue understanding. Do treat your neighbors well. Do care for the poor. Those kinds of things. And wisdom is often more general feeling in nature than direction. Oftentimes, it'll just tell you, here's how life is. You got passages like Proverbs 5.21 that says, Your ways are in full view of the Lord, and He examines all your paths. Or, or passages like Ecclesiastes 3.1, which tells us, There is a time for everything, and a season for every activity under the heavens. Um, neither of those passages has any command built right into it, but it has truth in it that if you realize that truth and accept it, it's going to guide how you make your decisions. So other times, though, wisdom, even wisdom literature in the Bible, wisdom material, does become something directive. It's not written like a law. It doesn't feel like a rule when you read it, but it is God's word saying plainly, do this. Don't do this. Do this, it's smart. Do this, it's worth it. Don't do this, it's stupid. Learn this without it. You can't make good decisions. Choose this way or you'll regret it. So we can't just pick one or the other. I like direction, I like wisdom. No, God clearly chooses to guide us using both. Clear commands that draw bright lines between right and wrong and general truths and instructions about life that will enable us to make wise choices instead of foolish ones. And in fact, there are times when he brings the two together in such that he directs us, he commands us to pursue wisdom. <laughs> Alright, uh, here's an example. King David. King David passed these words on to his son Solomon, and the Holy Spirit has in turn passed them on to us. Here's the commands. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not Forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Cherish her, and she will exalt you. Embrace her, and she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 5 through 9. Notice again this idea that it's already there. It's already available. God has already provided it. Now go get it. Fight for it. Pursue it. Ask for it. Wait for it. Work for it. And never let it go. It says, give it with, do not forsake wisdom. Go get it and pay for it if it should cost you all you have. So when you get to the crossroads of your life or the crossroads of your situation, start with the truth of where you are and then find that 
ancient, enduring road. That good path, it already exists. You don't have some new problem that God hasn't figured out how to solve. It's just new to you. And God has some ancient direction and some timeless wisdom that it's time for you to find. Or maybe just time for you to find anew. The psalmist writes, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. If you want light to shine on the right way for you to go, you already have it. It's probably sitting there in a shelf on your on a shelf in your house. Get that in the right order. Uh, it's probably available anytime and anywhere in an app on your phone. But see, God's holy, precious, supernatural word doesn't do a thing for you when it's sitting on your shelf. You get zero insight into life because you went to the app store and hit download. It's got to get in you. And it's got to be a part of your life. The scriptures we can hear teaching from every Sunday when we go to church, be it online or in person, we get these scriptures in our ears, but they're the scriptures that we need to learn from, we need to lean on, we need to live by every day. And the scriptures that are in our Bible apps, they need to become the scriptures that are in our hearts because they will direct us, they'll give us those clear boundaries, not just, not just clarifying right from wrong, but telling us this is God's way. And this is sin. And they will guide us into wisdom, telling us what to expect from life, from God, from fools, and from the choices we make. Step two at the crossroads says, ask about this. Find this. What has God directed me to do? What has God directed me not to do? What does true wisdom say about how to make choices moving forward? Okay, we'll have to take steps three and four fairly quickly. But step three, inhaling your crossroads well, is a bit of a doozy. So here it is. Meet your period of long suffering with head on. <laughs> Meet it head on with grit. I wrestled with several ways of capturing this concept, but that's what I ended up settling on. Meet your period of long suffering however long that period may be, meet it head on with grit, with resolve, with determination to dig in, to forge ahead, to pull through, trusting in God for your strength. And this may be the hardest step on the list today, but it's here to say this. When we are in between, when life is just crazy, when things are not as we planned, every one of us already knows what we want to see happen, right? Uh, and if we just get God to answer one free answer to prayer for us, we already know what we want. And whatever your particular situation, wherever you are at, let me tell you, I can read your minds. I already know how you'd like God to act. I do. You want him to do something that is quick and painless, right? <laughs> quick and painless. That is the dream. I'm telling you today. <laughs> Pick a different dream. I mean, it could happen. God does do the instant miracle thing every once in a great, great while. But, but again, wisdom is supposed to guide us here. And wisdom would show that we should be prepared for something much more normal than that. 
I mean, you know what's dependably quick and painless? The road to destruction. That's, that's what Jesus says. <laughs> Jesus taught, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 14. In other words, the ancient path, the good way, is also the one less traveled. Oh, it's the best way. Oh, oh, it is the only way with no regrets. Oh, it's the only way to find true peace and to experience God's best, but it isn't for the faint of heart. I guarantee you, nine times out of ten, the good stuff that you hope to find on the good way won't come right away. Or at least it won't come without some significant struggle. Why else do you think God's word would spend so much emphasis preparing us for this? Telling us, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Or why would God tell us, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you, as, as though something strange were happening to you? 1 Peter 4, 12. If long-suffering, if periods of long-suffering, of waiting, were never supposed to be expected, why would the scriptures tell us this? Endure hardship as discipline, like training. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7, 11, and 12. If we didn't need to be ready for waiting and struggle and enduring, why would God specifically mention long-suffering as part of the fruit that the Holy Spirit will produce in us. See, the right path is narrow. Few find it. Fewer still will stick with it. But there is purpose in every step. In every moment of waiting, every sacrificial step forward, every hardship endured, God is at work on that path as long as you're actually on the right path. Please don't waste a moment of waiting. Please don't remain one more second on, in suffering on a path that God doesn't want you on. That's why steps one and two are so critical. They will guide you in the right direction. They will show you the truth. They will show you what God's path looks like. And then from there, Jeremiah 6, 16 says it, once you find that ancient path, Walk in it. Gear up. Be ready to meet whatever comes your way with grit, with a long-suffering determination to continue on because you know that God has called you here and he will walk with you every step of the way. 
final step of handling your crossroads well is simply this. Cover all of the other steps with prayer. Cover all of the other steps with prayer. Philippians 4, 6 gives us some direction, a command that fits this one perfectly. It says this, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Amen to that. Prayer is our way to keep putting our lives back into God's hands. Our needs, our worries, our fears, our hopes, our disappointments, and absolutely, yes, our decisions about who we will be and what we will do. It's that space that, that we can enter into carrying all of that on our shoulders and we can, we can drop it all at God's feet and leave again refreshed, reassured, and hopefully carrying only what God has asked us to carry for that day. Step four needs to go from start to finish if we are to handle our crossroads well. Cover all of the other steps with prayer. Let's close in prayer now. Father God, how refreshing it is to know, well, you. You know us. You know what we need. You know our circumstances. And Lord, you know our struggles and the decisions that we need to make. And you've already built this way forward for us. Help us to find it, God, to stop, to stop and look at the truth and to pursue your direction, to pursue your wisdom like they were the most valuable things on earth, Lord. And give us the grit that it will take to grow through the periods of waiting and struggling. Thank you for being our burden bearer, Lord, for providing and for being all we need. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to thank you again for being with us in Canyon Ridge Church Home Edition. Very first one we've done of this. Um, and very grateful we had the chance to do this and do this with you. Before we let you go, I want to remind you of one thing, and that is something uh, that will look different this year, just like many other things that we're doing. Uh, and that is that Easter is coming in two weeks' time. And normally, yeah, Easter is kind of a big Sunday. It's like, bring your friends to church. It's We're going to do a, a bigger service. We're going to do an egg hunt. We're going to have a bunch of kids there. It's a great thing, and this year, I'm, I'm guessing Easter service is going to be Canyon Ridge Church Home Edition, Easter Edition. Um, but I want you to not give up on Easter because it's different. I want you not to look at it and go, how do I do Easter this year? Well, you can ask the question, but go through the Crossroads experience with the, with the Lord and find out that He wants to speak to people on Easter this year anyway. Find out that he wants to use this time, that God has not stopped moving, that God has not stopped caring about the folks that are not here yet, those folks that are not connected with him, those folks that are not connected with the church right now, 
that God has a heart for them right now, that God wants to reach out to them right now, and you have the easiest possible Easter invite you could ever have this year. People don't need to get out of their pajamas. People need to leave their homes. People don't need to leave their regular routines to join us for Easter. Can you think about that? Can you think about the fact that you probably know so many people who are not connected to a church right now, not just here in this local community, but people all around the country. If you invite your, your friend or your long-lost relative from Indiana to Canyon Ridge Church, they're never going to come unless we're online. Guess what? This Easter, we're online, okay? This is your chance. What I want to invite you to do is to plug in with God this week about Easter. Make that a part of your daily prayer time this week. And yes, pray daily about it. Ask God, who do you want me to invite? God, who should I reach out to? How can I get someone connected to you this Easter? Because we're going to celebrate what God has done. We're going to celebrate who God is on Easter. And we're going to, we're going to be um, looking forward at Easter to what God is going to do next. And so we want to, to open our open our home church up to everybody who can come across the world this year. So pray about it this week, and next week we're going to say make those invites, make those Facebook pass-arounds, make those personal phone calls, and bring people with you. This could be an opportunity that never would have come your way if we weren't in this situation. All right, thanks so much again for being with us. Have a great week. Stay safe. Follow the good guidelines that are out there. Stay safe. Stay well. Think about ways that you can connect with your neighbors, with your friends, with the people in this church. Um, this is a time to connect more intentionally rather than less intentionally because it's not going to happen by accident. So please do all of those things, and we will see you again next week at Canyon Ridge Church Home Edition. Be safe until then.